Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Full Time with Meg Linehan. That's me, your host as always. So we're actually doing something a little different today. Our first crossover episode of a sort with The Athletic's new WNBA staff writer, Chantel Jennings, joining us for today's episode. Now, obviously, there are some shared markets between the W and the NWSL, and I know in particular the Chicago Red Stars fans feel very strongly about the Chicago Sky. Plus, we have the royal couple of Sue Bird and Megan Rapino to discuss as well. But it's been really interesting to watch another women's league go through a bubble tournament and the WNBA's approach to social justice compared to the NWSL, which is a topic I spoke about with uh, with Brooke LB from the player side of things two episodes ago, if you miss it. So bringing in Chantel, we can compare notes as the two uh, full-time writers on the women's sports beats for The Athletic. It seemed like the perfect time, but first I want to catch up on the news of the week. So I'm back from my first round of vacation, though I'm still catching up on life and sleep over the next couple of weeks, so I'll be in and out on some more vacation time, but the news is not actually slowing down. Sam Mewis to Man City is finally official with the announcement made on Monday, August 10th, with the move first reported on July 23rd by me over at The Athletic. Mewis spoke to plenty of American and British media for her first press availability, already sporting a city shirt via Zoom, and here's what she had to say on the timing of the deal. I think that coming to Man City, pandemic or not, is such a great opportunity. So um, I did hear about this a couple months ago and was, I mean, obviously curious what would happen with the NBSL for the rest of the year. But I think that playing overseas is something that's always interested me. Um, And I do feel like the Challenge Cup was such a success for the NBSL that I just give them so much credit for pulling that off successfully. Um, But for myself, this was just such a great opportunity and I didn't want to pass it up and I can't really speak to anybody else's decision, but I know that um, the NWSL is still a great place to, to train and to play. And um, I think that the WSL uh, will be as well. Um, so I think for myself, it, it had a little bit of an impact just timing wise, but I'm just really happy and excited to be here. And it was a big opportunity either way. Next up, we've got Racing Louisville FC announced their first head coach ahead of their 2021 start in the NWSL, hiring Christy Holly. He does have NWSL managerial experience leading Sky Blue FC back in 2016 and 2017, but his tenure ended with a 14-17-7 and record overall. After departing Sky Blue FC, he ended up with the U.S. Women's National Team, working as an opposition analyst, also as a youth national team assistant coach, uh, but also including scouting work for the 2019 World Cup. Now, the reaction is unsurprisingly mixed, considering the NWSL record, his NWSL record, and that his hire means the league now has nine white male coaches, with seven of those being men hailing from the U.K., and still only one woman, also white, also British. Uh, For instance, Mandy Laddish, a former NWSL player, tweeted, I just can't get over the fact that the NWSL keeps recycling average coaches. The players deserve better. Now, finally, Champions League is coming up for the women at the end of this month. But one of the eight quarterfinalists, Atletico Madrid, has been forced to suspend training with just over a week until the game's restart. Five players have tested positive for COVID-19, though all are asymptomatic, according to reports, but the entire team and technical staff have been quarantined as a preventative measure. So before we actually get into the show and talk to Chantel, let's take a minute to hear about Indochino. Hi, I'm Paul Tenorio, co-host of Allocation Disorder. I never really knew how different I could feel in a suit until the first time I had one tailored to fit. I looked better, I felt more confident, I felt more professional. The problem was I had to pick and choose what I took to a tailor. The cost was just too much. Recently, I learned about Indochino and gave it a try. 
I booked a virtual session and took about 10 minutes with my wife doing all my measurements. In these COVID times, it was great to be able to do everything from home. With Indochino, you can get made-to-measure clothes, including suits, blazers, shirts, and coats, and you get to customize everything, from the fabric to the lining and the lapel shape. The best part? Indochino suits start at just $2.99, all customizations included. Indochino has showrooms across North America, or you can book a virtual appointment like me and shop online at Indochino.com. And right now, you can get an extra $30 off any purchase of $3.99 or more at Indochino.com when entering athletic at checkout. That's Indochino.com, promo code athletic. So I did want to start with you and how you got to your new role at the WNBA Vertical. I feel like now I have kind of, there's me over in women's soccer, and now we have you over in women's basketball. We're kind of like two sides of the same coin. So I, I do, I'm curious about your journey. Obviously, you wrote your big intro letter, um, the infamous athletic how I got here story, but if you could uh, walk me through that as well. Well, I think a big part of it is you. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) way to pat yourself on the back there, Meg. Uh, (laughs) No, I think in the last, since you've been at the company, they've seen how well it has worked to have a national voice on women's soccer and sort of covering all the ins and outs, the big stories, the small stories being there day in, day out. And, you know, putting the support of the company and everyone here behind you um, and and using other people as well, but really kind of letting you loose to do your thing. And as someone that covered college football the last 10 years, I left to do a fellowship at the University of Michigan. And when we got there, the director of the program intentionally said to all of us, you know, let let the fellowship speak to you. And she said to me, I don't watch, I don't want you to watch any sports this year. Like, (laughs) please do not go to a Michigan football game. Like just back off. Like for the last 10 years of your life, like you've never had a fall Saturday, go to the farmer's market, Like, do something (laughs) like read a book, just wake up late on a Saturday morning and live your life. Um, and, And it was super strange because I was also in Ann Arbor where I went to school and it's obviously a huge college football town. Um, but I didn't, I didn't watch sports last year. It was, it was intentional. And at first it was weird. And then I sort of allowed myself to reflect a little bit and, and try to figure out what the fellowship was telling me. And I realized through the media that I was consuming, what I was listening to, what I was reading in my free time, the conversations I was having, the classes I was sitting in at the university that, you know, women's stories told by women are so important. And that was a feeling that I conveyed to The Athletic. Um, And flash forward to (laughs) about a week before the WNBA season and I'm off and running and trying to keep up with three games a day, six days a week and sleeping when I can. Yeah, as someone who lived through a a bubble, um, sleep was not necessarily a thing that I got a lot of over, you know, I, I'm, that's now like I have vacation time now in order to sleep and remember <clears throat> what that's like. I know. But I, do. I keep looking at, I like, I check, I'm like, this last time Meg wrote, man, look at her living it up. Vacation. <laughs> right? You like, are three, three days off. Uh, I have, I think two stories going this week. So like I am kind of getting back into it, but after, you know, it was funny because during the world cup, 
I think I hit a my record of 20 stories in one month <laughs> during the World Cup. And so my editor, Brooks, was asking me, like, what is your record, like, about halfway through the Challenge Cup? And I was like, I'm pretty sure it's 20 in a month. I don't know what, like, total was during the actual World Cup itself. But I was like, 20 in a month is a lot and really broke my brain. And he was like, yeah, I don't know if I want you to hit that again. Like, I, I would worry if you did. And I hit 19. So we just, we, we just made it. So I do, like... You're walking into a new beat right before a bubble tournament. I, I just lived through remote access. So you're doing all of your availabilities via Zoom, I'm guessing via the phone. What is that experience like? Because having lived through it from an NWSL point of view, where I already have a lot of connections and can kind of just start texting people and being like, hello, please help me. <laughs> <laughs> you know me, please help me. Like that, I feel like is probably a very different experience than walking in a week before <laughs> a bubble. Yeah. Um, it is, you know, I, after the first week on the job, I called my editor, Hannah, and I was like, damn, we are just going to run a marathon at full sprint speed and then turn around to do it again and then do that until October. Um, and, and it is challenging since I haven't covered women's basketball before. And so it's a lot of introductions. It's a lot of me just calling people. Um, I've been interested in women's basketball, obviously, and I've followed it. And so I know, I know the storylines and I came into it knowing what I wanted to write about, you know, in terms of the bigger picture stories. And so it's nice to be working on those for sure. But um, yeah, jumping onto these Zoom calls, there is an awkwardness and and saying, you know, hey, this is Chantel from The Athletic. We haven't met. Nice to meet you. Like, <laughs> whatever. Um, you, so there's there's definitely that and just trying to um, talk with as many people one-on-one -on -one as I can and, and just build relationships as as quickly and as well as I can and, and doing that through, through conversations, but also hopefully by producing the work that I'm producing right now, um, people are understanding that, you know, I really want to cover this league well and, and differently. Yeah. I mean, so coming from a college football background, I feel like, you know, every time I walk into like an NFL stadium for a U.S. Women's National Team game, I walk into that press box and I'm like, oh, right. Some people's lives are very different than mine. <laughs> we're, we're sitting like Soldier Field, right, for the Chicago Bears. And it's just like this giant press room. And then there's 30 of us in one section. And it's just like a full empty, empty section. And I just, I sit there and think like, okay, during an NFL game, this room is packed, just completely packed with every single seat filled. And here we are in this like one little corner. So what are your impressions of coming from that world into a professional women's league in terms of, you know, maybe it's access. And like, I also, as someone who works in a media association role as well, I'm always kind of ready to go inside baseball on access. But I think it is really interesting to see someone coming in from a completely different perspective. Cause like, this is the world, this is the only world I've known. Right. And I, I did cover the WNBA in a previous job as, as we've talked, like my first <laughs> weekend on the job, I literally followed Elena Deladun around for two days, <laughs> not really knowing anything about the WNBA and, and having to turn around a, a feature story on her. So I've kind of lived it. Although I think to a slightly less pressure filled <laughs> situation, but what is it like to to make the swap from college football, which I think 
kind of has this very established rhythm probably to a like again we're in a weird situation with a with a bubble with remote access but the actual like women's pro league part of it (laughs) well the first thing i thought of when you were talking about that and now that we're in a bubble um you know the media dinners at college football games as a vegetarian uh i sometimes (laughs) struggled there and i've just thought to myself you know it's a lot of basketball right now but at least i can choose what i eat so that's nice um but in terms of looking at it from from a content perspective you know like let's be really frank about it there are not the the amount that is committed from media companies to cover women's sports is not the same to cover men's sports. And the amount of money that is put into covering college football versus the WNBA, that's very different. Um, and it's not a good thing, but it, it is what it is right now. And so when I was hired by ESPN in 2011 to cover Michigan football, they hired three of us in one year to cover Michigan football while they did that at several other schools, you know, when's the last time three people were hired to cover women's basketball by one company at the same time, um, full time. And so I think it's, you know, there's just sort of that vacuum where, um, you know, 80 stories written about Trevor Lawrence's hair. (laughs) How many stories were written about the CBA last year? How many stories have been written about, a WNBA season committed to social justice. How many stories have been written about, you know, everything happening in the WNBA right now? Um, and then it's, it's just sort of the small things that get picked up on the college football radar. So I think just sort of coming from that to this, it's different, but it's also, I think, sort of the pace of college football and and knowing that every tiny thing matters and knowing the sort of the way that college football fans follow college football. Um, you know, I, I haven't lost that at all. I would say I'm, I'm trying to keep up with that as much as I can and churn out as much quality um, stories and, and interviews as I can to bring people what they need, but it's just, there's less of it in, in the entire sort of sphere of right national coverage. Yeah. I did want to bring up, so your, your most recent story which I loved and shared the one that is about how the W's trying to create home court advantage via the sound mm-hmm. of a game. And I, it's so different than like my world in soccer where it's just, you know, 22 people on a field yelling at each other. <laughs> right. And like to the point where the NWSL also had to be like, part of the reason why we had artificial crowd noise on broadcast is because the swearing, yeah. right? Like it's just, you know, kind of nonstop. <laughs> uh, but what, I, I feel like I I didn't see that story anywhere else. Like, how did you hone in on that? Like, also, I guess, you know, if people haven't read it, there's going to be a link in the episode description of, of this episode, because I think it's, it's just such an interesting story. And the fact that it has had, you know, potentially an impact on what they consider home court advantage in terms of making the like, this is for the players, right? It's not for fans. It's not even for people really watching at home. This is something that they're trying to do for the players to make them feel like, this is home. Right. Well, I think, and, and you, I think approach sports writing the same way, sort of, you have that, those golden nugget stories where, you know, what is the one story that I can write right now and never again. Um, And I think a bubble (laughs) provides you with several of those opportunities just because of the (laughs) uniqueness of the season. Um, But that was one of my first thoughts when, you know, I, I agreed to come on and cover women's basketball in the WNBA was, 
knowing, having covered college basketball before, having covered women's and men's college basketball before, a crowd can sway a game, I think, three to five points, right? And the W is competitive. It is elite and competitive. And so you think about those three to five point games, and there have been a ton of them uh, in this season already. And so I was thinking to myself, well, what are they doing? And then when the game started, I noticed that some games were louder than other games just on the broadcast. And I would turn it up a ton and kind of put my ear next to, uh, I'm streaming everything. So next to the speaker on my computer and I'm like, well, what the heck? And then at one point when Seattle was playing as a home team, I heard, uh, the Stewie voice from family guy. I'm like, what the heck? And so <laughs> I started reaching out and just asking the question, like, what, what is home court advantage? Cause it feels like there's something. And then I was really surprised to learn that what ultimately the WNBA decided to do was the home team gets 100% control of the music. So that it, it is from warmups until the game is over. Um, the players have sent in music and the DJs are 100% on the side of the home team. There is no love for the away team. There's no visitor section DJ. There is nothing. DJ Heat, DJ O, DJ Joe Green are only on the side of the home team. And so, uh, which is pretty hilarious because DJ Heat is the mystics. Uh, right, media, and so right. she has had to be in a position where she is actively like doing <laughs> chants against them um, and music against them. And, and some of the teams have more mocking sort of things and other ones have silly things. And um, yeah, it was just really fascinating. But that's also, you know, hopefully next season when we're in arenas again, that story won't be relevant at that point. And so I think you're always looking for those pieces that you can only tell at this exact moment. Yeah. Yeah. One of your other recent stories, and this is the joy of me now being a full-time soccer writer and not having to, (laughs) (laughs) when I was writing about the WNBA, I was also writing about every other women's sport, regardless of how much I knew about it, including rowing and all sorts of things. So now I get to say like, okay, I get to just watch and enjoy the WNBA. That is the joy of my life now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've adopted the Liberty as my team being a a New York City resident. And I'm it just watching them reminds me a lot. So I also covered the Boston Breakers. And I don't know how familiar you are with their history. They were just a lovable, but so, so bad. (laughs) So, so bad team. And then, you know, I've also covered Sky Blue through a one-win season, right? And so there's another New York, New Jersey metro area team that is kind of, you know, you're rooting for them so hard um, to do nice, fun things and and get that success, and then it's not really happening. So one win so far for the Liberty, obviously a major injury at play. Um, That one win seemed like it was very emotional. There was a lot of discussion that happened before that game. So walk me through what they're going through right now, maybe what to expect from the Liberty for the rest of this, this summer tournament. Oh, Meg. Um, (laughs) uh, So the team, as you were alluding to, they had sort of, I believe what Walt Hopkins called it was a get everything out on the table meeting. And I think we see that a lot in sports and I think that can either galvanize a team or it can kind of break a team. Uh, and and you, in a season like this, where games are just back to back to back to back, they were going to see the results of that meeting immediately, whether it be good or bad. Ultimately, right. 
it was good. They picked up their first win of the season um, against the Mystics, the reigning WNBA champs, uh, obviously without a lot of their star power, but still the Mystics were playing, have been playing uh, pretty well this year. And so, yeah, it was, it was, you see a team like that, that has sort of these baby vets are what they're calling them. The players who on any other team would still be considered quite young, but on this team, because there are so many rookies, um, more than right. half the roster three quarters of the roster are rookies. Um, you have these baby vets. And so what to expect? I think the same thing that you expect with any young team ups and downs, but I think with this group, just because of how the season is, those highs and lows are going to be even more drastic. I think in a normal season, when you have rookies in any sport, you not only get a more complete preseason, which the WNBA didn't have this year because of the bubble, but you also have time in between games. But these teams are playing 22 games in 49 days. Most teams do not have more. Most teams are playing between 16 and 18 games on one day turnarounds, which means between those 17 to 20 games, no one's practicing. Yeah, (laughs) getting in the ice tub between games and watching film and going on to the next one. And so for the most part, once you get into the season, coaches have maybe three to five real practices to work on stuff for the players that are playing a lot. Obviously, Mm -hmm. people who are only getting to the game for three to eight minutes can can run a bit more. But um, yeah, it's it's going to be highs and lows. Uh, If if that's the kind of roller coaster you like, I say <laughs> go for it, Meg. Enjoy it. Yeah. But also have a beer or a drink ready to go, whether yeah. whether yeah. it's a good drink or a bad drink after the game. Right. I did. I did finally restore. I had uh, my pin tweet was a, a classic that I had not messed with for a really long time, and I finally put it on some work stuff for a while. But I brought it back with the challenge cup done, which is just the Harry Potter gif of. Um, it's, I titled it just like sports.gif and it says, um, you're going to suffer, but you're going to be really happy about it. (laughs) And that to me, (laughs) like I, I grew up outside of Boston. I rooted for the Red Sox and did not get success for a very long time. Um, Boston breakers again, Mm -hmm. you know, like I, I have also low key adopted the Mets, which I think is the epitome of suffering. (laughs) So... You know, like that's it's sometimes for the you course. just gotta roll with it's it. Part for the yeah, course. yeah. Well, so and, and and but you know what? It makes it way more rewarding on the on the other and side. And I of think it's also whatever happens three years from now, you can say I was there from the beginning. You're <laughs> not if you sit through you know any one win, two win, three win season, you are definitely not a bandwagon fan. You can exactly you can exactly wear that honorably <laughs> on your chest four years from now when all of these players have gelled together and they have a normal preseason and. And they're winning some games. Right. Right. All right. That's fair. So we'll we'll check back in in, you know, like three or four years. And we can we'll, replay this, we'll see, how, see how, how you're doing. I know. <laughs> and and so, see see the emotional damage that's happened. You know, yeah. it's all the normal sports things of that's the fun part about now with the athletic is having, you know, obviously I get to live in my little world, mm-hmm. but having so much reporting of teams that I otherwise would follow anyway. I mean, I think my dad actually probably texts me more about Jen McCaffrey, <laughs> who writes about the Red Sox and what she's writing. Then my stories at times, he's like, did you see what Jen wrote? Can you tell her that it was really good? And I'm like, I don't, I don't super talk to her, but, but sure. I mean, yeah, like, okay. Yeah. Uh, thanks. So, you know, it's good times. Um, but that is, I think that's the joy of our website is yeah. being able to follow stuff like this. So I always do appreciate, like I, I follow the Liberty as one of my, my teams well, on the, I appreciate the it. 
Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, also on the Liberty, I mean, one of the first people I really think about with them now is uh, Laisha Clarendon mm-hmm. as well, right? And and having followed them on Twitter for a while, like they're they're clearly so dialed into the social justice part, which I think is kind of the biggest area that I want to talk to you about where I think the NWSL can really learn from what the WNBA is doing. And I think, you know, I've already talked to a couple of people on the NWSL side, Brooke Elby, who is the the co-executive director of the NWSL PA is clearly watching. Um, they also have, you know, both the U S women's national team PA and the NWSL PA have a relationship with the WNBA players mm-hmm. association but Clarendon is on the social justice committee along with like Aja Wilson and, and Brianna Stewart and all these other players. And I think the thing that feels so different about the w, the WNBA is that it is, it's baked into everything, yeah. right? Like, I mean, this tournament started mm-hmm. with statements and centering Brianna Taylor and like, it just, it's not that it was an afterthought for the NWSL. I think it was certainly like a, an instrumental part, especially for the players, but the WNBA feels like it is just on a completely different plane of existence in terms of what they're doing. So I did want to maybe walk through some of this. And also I think the other really interesting part that I don't have a great sense of is where's the line between how the players are driving this, whether that's through the committee or just through internal discussions and then where the league is on it. Because that's always very interesting to me of how wide is that gap? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you said instrumental um, in talking about NWSL. I think, and it, maybe this is getting down to semantics, but I would say with the W, it's it's central to the league and the players and their identities and what they play for. And the fact that, you know, women's basketball has been fighting for decades. Um, the WNBA has been fighting for decades. Um I'm forgetting now who exactly said this. Elizabeth Williams on The Dream said, you know, this is a league that is 80% Black women. And they have fought for everything. And her exact quote was something like, we are inherently political in that sense. And so I think it would just seem really strange for this not to be central to who and what the WNBA is. Right. And I mean, it's it's not even just that to like, that inherently political comment, right? Like we have seen <laughs> the players of this league also start wearing campaign shirts mm-hmm. for a political candidate. And I would very much love to talk to you about that because I thought that was, I, I mean, I cannot super think of another time where another league would ever do something like that. And I, I feel like it feels like a very much like a new future <laughs> for where the WNBA players are willing to take this. Yeah, well, I think from from the beginning, I spoke with Neko Gumake, who's the president of the Players Association, um, before the season started. And one of the things she had told me was, you know, a benefit of being in the bubble is just the access that she has, not only to her executive committee, and, and you think about this league, just sort of thinking about the three-hour time change. I usually live on the West Coast and thinking of my friends in New York City and I'm trying to make sure I'm calling them at a certain time that they're out of work and I'm out of work. So you remove at least the time change, which there's one barrier uh, to one another. And they're all in the same place. And NECA had said, you know, the amount of just ideas that we're going to be able to bounce off one another, the number of conversations, just the fact that you're running into people that would never happen in another season. And I think 
there has been a lot of focus, rightfully so, on sort of the negative effects of bubbles and, and obviously why these women have to play in a bubble this season. But one of the positives coming out of this that I think 10 years from now we'll look back on this bubble as thinking how it was so central to maybe a way in which the WNBA led other teams and leagues in embracing voting and voting rights um, and advocating for that. And you sort of look at the time we're in right now, what's coming up this November. There's no reason to think that <laughs> I, I, there's no reason to think that it's going to be anything less than super loud from the WNBA. And, and I think they are leading the charge, but you can expect to see other leagues and teams and players jump onto that as well. Um, and I would not be surprised if Reverend Warnock uh, is not the only person that they're wearing shirts for this season. Right. Yeah, that's that's valid. I mean, obviously, he has the slight advantage in that he is running <laughs> against a current WNBA mm-hmm. owner uh, of the Atlanta Dream, yeah. right? I, I do. So I want to bring up Sue Bird, right? I feel like she was also involved in that effort. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that is one of our, our main areas of crossover <laughs> in our two areas of coverage. And I think that it has been really interesting, and this is a, a conversation that I've had with Megan Rapino a bunch, just in terms of how that communication has now opened up mm-hmm. in a new channel between the WNBA and and where Pino exists in the NWSL and U.S. Women's National Team, right? And that where, you know, I, I can remember back in, in 2013, right, at the start of the NWSL, it didn't feel like those conversations were ever happening. And now it feels like they're happening more than ever, and not just necessarily WNBA, but also you know, the USA hockey players who boycotted, mm-hmm. right? Like they're they're having these conversations about stuff that is a lot bigger than just like, oh, you play sports too, mm-hmm. that's cool, right? Like there is gender equality stuff on the line. There's equal pay stuff on the line. There is obviously political stuff on the line as well. But I think the Sue Bird, Megan Rapino, obviously Pino is also in the bubble mm-hmm. wearing some extremely Pino outfits, Every time I see a new scarf, I'm just like, I she don't. She has taken face in- coverings to a whole new level. I am, yeah. I wear like a lame one. And then I look at her, like making a fashion statement with her, her mask and face covering. It's yeah. Yeah. Um, that's Pino. You know, we're, we're used to it on. Yeah. Uh, but have you, you know, obviously it's, it's kind of early, but like Sue Bird is kind of one of these figures who in my brain you know, is one of the players of the WNBA, right? Like, is a legend of the game, has been around, you know, is kind of, I want to call her the elder stateswoman, but like, you know, it, she's only a few years older than me. That's always the thing that cracks <laughs> me up about this. I'm like, everyone's a baby. And then like, Sue is like the elder stateswoman. I'm like, oh, I'm not that much younger <laughs> than she is. It's like, cool. Um, but she obviously has this huge leadership role and it might not necessarily be like a, a formal one, but I feel like there is kind of this influence from that relationship that is going in multiple directions. Um, so how, you know, where, where do you see that kind of paying off for the, for the W? Yeah, I think Sue's leadership has evolved from where she was in high school and at UConn to where she is now. Um, I remember we were, she and I were chatting earlier this season and she was talking about, you know, she lost seven games between her junior year of high school and her senior year at Connecticut. I th- Very casual. I think that in her first 13 games with the Storm, they went like six and seven. And so that sort of early period where she had to learn to grow up 
end. When you're on a team that is losing a fair amount, um, I think it requires reflection, right? Maybe this is where your Liberty team will <laughs> next year blow everyone out of the water, but I think it requires reflection. And I think probably starting back as early as that, she was thinking to herself, you know, how can she lead in a different way? How can she lead in a way that isn't so quiet? Not just like, follow me, do what I'm doing. Um, and I think over the years, she's become more and more vocal. And I think where Maggie, maybe Megan Rapino comes into that is that relationships, friendships, even just sort of seeing other leagues be more vocal, seeing other athletes be more vocal. I think that can influence you, especially as you're getting older in the league and, and maybe your contributions to the team. And, you know, she's been remarkably efficient. Um, she's been <laughs> dishing out the assists like crazy. Um, but I think you begin as, as you sort of your, look at your career and you are no longer on the front end of your career and you're thinking what you want to leave for the game. And it seems to me that she got to a point where it wasn't just assists. It wasn't just the career mm -hmm. assist record. It wasn't just the number of starts. Um, it was realizing how much of a platform she had. And I think Megan Rapinoe and sort of how she has gone about her activism and how vocal she is has definitely rubbed off on Sue Bird a bit, um, a lot. And what yeah. that means for the league, I think, Sue could never play another minute of basketball and she will be an idol and, and a great for this game. And there will be players that play for the next 20 years that look to her as, you know, this is how to do it correctly. Um, so I think mm -hmm. 20 years from now, we can, we can record another podcast if that's still the technology we're okay. using. Right. And there will be rookies in the league that are talking about Sue Bird and how she evolved as a leader and how she used her platform and that platform benefited not only the WNBA and players, but the country. Right. Yeah. Also, and I don't want to make light of everything very serious that you're saying, but I do want to point out that I think her and Rapino had some of the best quarantine content oh, yeah. that existed. Oh, yes. Um, but also the night that she cut Megan Rapino's hair <laughs> live on Instagram was probably one of my favorite nights of quarantine, like very easily <laughs> one of the funniest, dumbest things I've ever watched in my life. So, I mean, she is also a very successful barber mm -hmm. and I think that we should give her that credit yeah. as well. Well, and if yeah. you're looking for other quarantine um, <laughs> content, hashtag content, if you, I, I've noticed a lot of people are running out of Netflix shows. There is like a mm -hmm. four hour Instagram live with uh, Rapino and Sue and Diana Taurasi that's worth yes. watching. And, and also Penny, Penny <laughs> when Penny finally yep. rolls in. But there's a lot of <laughs> wine that is consumed. I highly recommend that. And then also to go back, actually, the story I wrote about home court advantage for the WNBA, uh, Matt Hewer, who is sort of the uh, co-founder of the company that is running the creative direction for what game day looks like this year in the W, he said, you know, you should look for between two birds. And you get to see a different side of Sue Bird in these, it's like two minute videos. She's wearing a blue bodysuit so that they can blue screen, which is, I guess, the same thing as green screening. I don't know anything about technology. Yeah. Um, and she interviews other players. She interviews Holly Rowe. She interviews Megan Rapino at one point, Elena Deladon. So uh, if people are looking for some hashtag quarantine content, Sue Bird right. provides. Right. And I mean, the other very cool thing about Sue Bird, too, is 
her involvement in the WNBA draft, right? Like, I mean, I just feel like she has this long list of skills that we haven't even discovered yet because everything that she tried, like, she's a great personality. Like, she's good on TV. Yeah. She's obviously a very good basketball <laughs> player. She's a good uh, leader. Mm-hmm. She's a good, you know, like, political like I just I feel like we're gonna find out later that she's also you know a scuba diver and uh rescues animal you know like the list Mm -hmm. is just gonna keep going and we'll eventually hit the bottom of it and she'll come for our jobs and then eventually we'll be out of work she'll be running (laughs) podcast and interviewing people and it'll be and it'll just be one of those things where you can't even get mad about it because you're like yeah right she is better makes sense she's better than me yeah Yeah. (laughs) all right so but NWSL Challenge Cup is now behind us. I feel like there's already a pretty healthy amount of crossover, right? There are some shared markets. Obviously, people who are Rain fans uh, have the crossover of the Storm, sure. Um, Chicago, again, you know, there's there's Liberty, Sky Blue. They've done some stuff together as well. But for people who might not necessarily be in a market or for people who are now saying, okay, well, I'm, I'm kind of out of soccer right at the mm-hmm. moment. I want you to maybe give them a little bit of a sell on why they should consider the WNBA, mm-hmm. what what you're enjoying from the Wubble. Mm-hmm. Again, I still think that the W has a much higher advantage on the naming <laughs> game. Yes. Um, but also, you know, it, it has been really funny. There, I've definitely seen some comments of like, Megan Rapinoe is very cool in our world, but then you put her in the WNBA world and you're like, oh, you're a giant dork. <laughs> Right, like you're cool for yeah. us, but then you go over there and it's like everyone is so cool, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I will say an unintended consequence of covering the WNBA is that I have had to watch TikToks, and that is like the <laughs> oldest thing I've ever said in my life. Um, it was funny. My fiance, when I started covering the league, he's like, "So are you going to get a TikTok?" And I was like, "Oh God, I hope not." And then. It was maybe like 24 hours into my coverage and I was like, I'm going to have to get TikTok. Oh, um, so there's excellent TikTok coverage. Um, outside of that, if we're talking about basketball, the WNBA is, I think, one thing that people don't realize is how exclusive of a league it is, how elite of a league it is. There are 12 teams. There are 12 spots on each of those teams. If you do the math, 144 spots. That's it. Um, that was pretty fascinating for me coming from the college football world where you think about a college football team that might have that number of players almost on a single team. Uh, right. And now you come into a league, that's it, 144 players. Um, so the level of play and the level of competition is crazy. You have first round draft picks in the WNBA who don't make rosters. Uh, that is yeah. how hard it is to make one of these teams. And so I think that alone is a reason to watch, knowing that this is the best women's basketball you can watch anywhere. Um, and it's exciting to watch, even with even with <laughs> no real home crowd advantage, even with no fans, even with all of that. Um, it's really incredible to watch just because with only 12 teams, everyone knows one another so well. A lot of players have played USA basketball together. Even mm-hmm. if they haven't, they've played one another so many times before because the longevity of players in the league is we're seeing it extended, you know, Sue's almost been playing for 20 years in the league. Um, She's, she's almost 40 and she's playing this elite level of basketball. I 
recently turned 31 and I can't like sit down on a chair without my knees cracking. Um, and so it's just kind of fascinating to watch in terms of the skill level and the talent. And every time, you know, I tweet a story, these people tweet back at me, you know, like who cares? No one likes the WNBA, all of that sort of stuff. And it's like, you know, I don't think any of these people have ever even attempted to watch a game. You've got like Allie Quigley raining threes from wherever the hell she wants on the court. You've got like Kennedy Carter, who, I mean, we talked a lot about Sabrina Ionescu, a rookie, but like Kennedy Carter and Crystal Dangerfield are just like tearing it up as these like shorter rookies. Like Crystal Dangerfield, if you are five foot five and you want to feel like you can do anything, tune, tune into a Minnesota Lynx game. Like, Candace Parker was deed up on her the other day to like, and, and she took her off the dribble and it was like, she gives five, five people hope everywhere. Um, and she's a first year player in the W. And so I think it's one of those things where it's just the level of play, the level of mm-hmm. basketball, the quality of the game is incredible. Yeah. And I think that's a good tell for NWSL fans who I think, you know, are also very used to having world-class players Mm -hmm. and obviously a huge chunk of the U.S. Women's National Team, but also, you know, Marta from Brazil, Mm -hmm. right, who is arguably the greatest women's player ever um, in the league. So I think that is always uh, a very good selling point. All right. Anything else before we, is there anything that you're working on that you're really excited? Are there any games that you're, you're waiting on? Or are you just kind of like waiting for playoffs to kind of see who? I was going to say, am I waiting for games? Well, there's three a day, so I'm never waiting that long. (laughs) Um, No. So I am currently working on a piece that I've been working on for a while um, about the importance of prehab and rehab in the Wubble. I think NWSL fans, U.S. soccer fans can appreciate the importance of prehab and rehab. But as we were talking about earlier, just sort of the the number of games that are being played on one day turnarounds right now is insane and injuries are, are picking up in the league. And so I, I talked with almost half of the head athletic trainers in the league to talk about what they've been doing differently, how they're approaching Mm -hmm. this season. Um, I asked one of the trainers, you know, what is, what is the equivalent to this in your career as an AT, like what's the closest thing you've done? And she said, did you play AAU basketball? I said, yeah. She goes, okay, think about if you played AAU basketball tournaments, like those crazy Fridays to Sundays. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, and then do that 40 times. (laughs) I was like, oh yeah, that's crazy. Um, And so it's pretty interesting piece. I think my thought from the beginning of the tournament um, from the beginning of the season has been that, healthiest team wins it. Uh, There's only 12 players. It's hard to get reserve players into the bubble if they're not already there, if you are down numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, And going from 12 to nine for a practice, you know, to not even have full five on five, um, it's real. And so I'm excited about that piece. It'll be running uh, Thursday. Good. So day the pod drops. So perfect timing. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. I think it's been super interesting. I think it's always really I don't know. I just really like having that sort of crossover content because it, it, we are doing kind of essentially the same thing, mm-hmm. right? Just in two slightly different worlds. So it's always, I like doing it. Yeah, this is fun. Thanks for having me. I feel <laughs> like I've earned a badge of honor. Um, feel free. We can maybe FaceTime during one of the Liberty games. Um, <laughs> okay. Can just be sad. Have my, have my bourbon and yeah. <laughs> just feel like I love them. They're trying. Yeah, they're trying. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. 
All right. So thanks to Chantal for joining us on today's show. We're back to all soccer all the time next week. But I do think it's important to have these crossover episodes like this every once in a while or zoom out for some bigger picture women's sports and sports content. It just helps us keep everything in perspective. Hopefully you agree and enjoyed it. One more thing for you, and I'll have a link for you, as always, in the episode description. Uh, This is a reported feature from 2017 by Steph Young, also a guest on the show previously, titled Soccer's Ugly Sexism is Keeping Women from Coaching the Beautiful Game. Yes, it's three years old at this point, but it still gets linked every single time a man gets hired for a high-profile women's managerial position because it's about the system that produces these hires. There are a lot of people putting in work to change the system, but the end result hasn't really started changing since the story was written. So I definitely recommend you take the 10 minutes to give it a read. So that's it for this episode of Full Time with Meg Linehan. As always, you can subscribe to this podcast at all the usual places, Apple, Spotify, and The Athletic itself. If you listen on The Athletic, the podcast is ad-free. Your ratings and reviews on Apple help us find new listeners and spread the gospel of women's soccer. And you can always take 40% off a new annual subscription to The Athletic by signing up at theathletic.com slash fulltime. All of my coverage is on the site and app, and you can always have one-stop shopping for all of your women's soccer needs in articles and the pod, but you can also find me on Twitter at It's Meg Linehan. Our podcast producer is Michael Zimmerman from The Athletic. I'm Meg Linehan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.